Our scripture lesson today is the eighth psalm. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, may you grant to me to speak with judgment and to have thoughts of what I have received from you. For you are the guide even of wisdom and you are the corrector even of the wise. For both we and our words are in your hand as are all understanding and skill in crafts. In the name of Christ, I make this prayer. Amen. So when we opened the bulletin in our staff meeting on Tuesday to plan this worship service, a guffaw broke out in the room led by Patrick Honeycutt. What do you mean Emerson's Divinity School Address revisited? You've got to have read it in the first place to revisit it. And he went to Duke. As the crafter of the title, I knew that Patrick had a point. In fact, when I had seen the title on the church sign a few minutes before the meeting, I thought to myself, What were you thinking? (laughs) I've only read Emerson's Divinity School address once, and that was a few years ago when a member of the congregation sent it to me. I remember thinking at the time that it might be good material for a sermon on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, especially when paired with Psalm 8, a celebration of the exalted role of humanity in God's created order. But when I consulted the notes that I had made on that first reading, they were not helpful. But the title was already in the bulletin and on the church sign. I'm not sure, however, that my lack of clarity as to why I had chosen the Divinity School address much matters anymore. The world seems different than it did when I first read it, even those few short years ago. It undoubtedly seems different than it did in 1838 when Emerson delivered it to six of the seven graduates of Harvard Divinity School that year. 
And it certainly seems different than when the psalmist wrote Psalm 8. In a time marked by now four major terrorist attacks in recent weeks, a time in which the response to the attacks has brought out some of the more abhorrent strains in our public rhetoric, a time in which we seem weakened by the incapacity of our leaders to work together for our common safety, if not for our common good. In such a time as this, we must ask if the words of the psalmist resonate with us at all. You have made human beings a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. A little lower than God? Really? Emerson shares this vaulted view of humanity that's expressed by the psalmist. Humanity, he writes, is instructed in what is above. Humanity learns that our being is without bounds. And that to the good to the perfect, we are born. Emerson even believes that humanity by its very nature seeks virtue. Virtue, I am thine, he says. Thee will I serve day and night that I may be not virtuous, but that I may be virtue myself. Virtue itself. A little lower than God. Crowned with glory and honor. That I may be virtue itself. Are we worthy of such vaulted words? Now to be sure, not all writers contemporary with Emerson saw humanity in such an exalted light, nor do all biblical writers. Among Emerson's contemporaries were Darwin, Marx, and Thoreau, the latter of whom withdrew to Walden Pond and wrote, The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. These writers might be more at home with Ecclesiastes than with Psalm 8. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Whether we believe in the exalted view of humanity found in Psalm 8 and in Emerson, or the darker view bound in Thoreau and Ecclesiastes, what I am prompted to ask today in this sermon is this. What would it mean for us? What could it mean for us? If we truly believe that as human beings created by God, we were a little lower than the angels. What would it mean if Emerson and Psalm 8 carried the day in our perception of ourselves. The first thing it would mean is that we would recover an appreciation for beauty. 
Just prior to describing humanity as a little lower than God, the psalmist has been meditating on the beauty of creation, the beauty of nature. When I look at your heavens, the psalmist says, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? What are, excuse me, what are mortals that you care for them? Likewise, the opening paragraph of Emerson's address was inspired by the summer day on which he composed it. In this refulgent summer, he says, it has been a luxury to draw the breath of life. The grass grows, the buds burst, the meadow is spotted with fire and gold in the tent of flowers, the air is full of birds, sweet with the breath of the pine, the mystery of nature was never displayed more happily. Emerson writes, from this experience of beauty in nature, of beauty in God's created order, Emerson is then led to exclaim, virtue, thee will I serve day and night. The appreciation of beauty leads to a commitment to virtue. Second, in both the Psalm and the Divinity School address, beauty does not simply exist in and of itself, but rather it leads to human ingenuity, to creativity, to service. First, the psalmist. You have given humanity dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. In the psalm, the movement is from above the heavens, downward to the moon and the stars, then focusing on the human being, the human creature, which is at the exact center of the psalm, and finally on the earth in which we live, and the creatures of the earth, all part of humanity's responsibility. Beholding such beauty in creation leads the psalmist to proclaim that under God we are indeed intended to exercise dominion over all things, not over one another. We are to steward creation, not exploit it. As being a little lower than God, we are to take care of all that God has created. Emerson makes this same journey from appreciating beauty in nature to being responsible for creation. How wide, how rich, 
What invitation from every property the world gives to every faculty of the human being. It is well worth the pith and heart of great people, he says, to subdue and enjoy the world. I do not know if Emerson was aware of the harm to the environment to which later generations have learned our dominion has sometimes led us. But Emerson has laid the groundwork for us to understand and to seek to alleviate such harm as we are responsible for the created order, a little lower than God, crowned with glory and honor, virtue, virtue, virtue. Though I have been less able this week to follow events in the news as closely as I normally like, like all of us, I've managed reluctantly to acquire a certain degree of awareness of the terrorist bombings in Beirut, Baghdad, Paris, and Mali, and of the subsequent concern generated over the potential, however small, of terrorists posing as Syrian refugees sneaking into our nation or others and rendering the rescue of these victims of genocide curtailed. I'm not well versed enough in policy to have an ironclad opinion as to what our overall role should be or even should have been in Syria of how much and what kind of help we can provide Syrian refugees today and whether or not such help should be altered in light of recent attacks. But I do want to read portions of an article that a member of the church sent me yesterday as I was concluding this sermon. As I said at the early service, I don't know what I would preach if you all didn't send me any articles. But this article, which did appear in the Post yesterday, actually, bears witness to both the complexity of the situation before us and to the moral responsibility that we as human beings have, being a little lower than God, being seekers of virtue. The article was written by Russell Moore the head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. At issue in this controversy, Moore writes, are the competing principles of security and compassion of the United States as a fortress and as a refuge. It is completely right, he says, to ensure that the United States have a strong process to discern who are truly refugees and who are trying to take advantage of refugees. That's why we in the U.S. need a clearer and stronger articulation of what kind of system will be put in place by our government to properly vet anyone 
seeking to enter as a refugee. At the same time, he says, evangelical Christians, and I would say Christians of any stripe, should be the ones calling the rest of the world to remember the image of God, the inalienable human dignity of persecuted people, whether they are Christian or Jewish or Muslim or Yazidi, especially those who are fleeing from genocidal Islamic terrorists or terrorists of any kind. More continues. We should remember the history of the 20th century of Jewish refugees from the Holocaust and refuseniks from the Soviet Union who were largely ignored by the world community. We can have prudential discussions and disagreements about how to maintain security. But what we cannot do is demagogue this issue. Well, this kind of complicated geopolitical situation requires prudence, he says. It also requires virtue. Virtue. We should debate what it would take to ensure adequate vetting of refugees. But we should not allow ourselves to engage in the kind of rhetoric we've heard in recent days about, for instance, requiring ID cards for Muslim American citizens are considering warrantless searches of their homes or their houses of worship. It is one thing to have disagreement about whether the vetting process is adequate. It is quite another to seek to permanently turn our backs on Syrian refugees altogether. Most importantly, he says... We shouldn't allow our domestic controversy over refugees to cloud the larger issue of what is driving the refugee crisis in the first place. A death cult with aspirations of regional or even global dominance. Christian communities that have been in the Middle East since literally the book of Acts are in danger of extinction as are those who are in need of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Moore concludes, we cannot love our neighbors at the same time that we are standing aside and watching them be slaughtered. The Bible grants the state the power and the mandate to use force to protect the innocent. That means both engaging ISIS with a strong military response and doing what is in our power to shield the innocent from terror. Anything less, he says, is not a sufficiently Christian response. Now, as I indicated, people who are far more versed than me need to define what constitutes adequate vetting of refugees, what constitutes engaging ISIS with a strong military response, and what constitutes doing what is in our power to shield the innocent from terror. 
I do not know enough to assess the options that are on the public table at present, let alone those options that are appropriately withheld from the public. But this I know, this I know as a minister and as a Christian, we human beings are a little lower than God. We are crowned with glory and honor. We are entrusted to exercise dominion over all of creation, over every human being who is within our power to protect or to rescue. It is an honor. Indeed, it is a duty to say with Emerson, virtue, 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 thee I will serve. Amen.